one is a great American city with great people and a winning tradition of basketball this century. It's amazing. The other is New York. They suck. They just hired a rat czar. New York City finally has a rat czar to declare war on the rodent population. This is a Fear the Fro playoff podcast. We will stand. We will fight. And here's your host, me. Bob Schmidt. Hello, Cavs fans. Good morning. Sunday morning. I wanted to get on and do a podcast. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, lifelong Cavs fan, voice of Fox Sports Radio, and very disappointed, a very sad Cavs fan this Sunday morning. But for those of you out and about trying to enjoy your Sunday, I wanted to at least address what we saw as the Cavaliers dug themselves a one old hole yesterday in what was an ugly game. On both sides. There is rarely games where both teams go away feeling like, regardless of the final score, that their team played terribly. This was an absolute rock fight. Everybody sucked outside of a few standout moments or standout performers. Now, let's begin on the side of the ball that we care most about. That is, of course, the Cavalier side. The story of this game starts and ends in the paint, on the glass. Now, you can look at the box score and say, oh, well, Jared Allen had 14 boards and Mobley had 11 boards. Yeah, they did, and they were serviceable. They contributed eight offensive rebounds. But here's the problem. The Cavaliers led the offensive rebounding battle after the first half. They had corralled seven offensive rebounds on the game. However, they finished with 11. And the unfortunate part is the simple math would tell you, well, that meant they had four offensive rebounds in the second half. Yes, one of those came late in the fourth quarter from Jared Allen as he put in a tip off the offensive glass, and that put the Cavaliers into the lead for the final time that they would hold that lead in the game, 93-92, to late in the fourth quarter. However, the Knicks in the fourth quarter had seven of their 17 offensive rebounds coming from multiple places. Now, there's for a team that hustles as much as they do, for a team that's as proficient rebounding as the Knicks are, you're not going to skunk them. On the glass, but the Cavaliers have to increase their physicality and they have to get back in all the unconventional positions. You cannot put it on Mobley and Allen alone to do the rebounding. Just look as far as the final 40 seconds of the game. Two offensive rebounds by the Knicks in that stretch. You had Hart miss a pull up, Hartenstein gets a tip out, the Knicks corral it, Brunson ends up getting the ball on a swing and he has Osman on his hip, which was an easy two points. Two points that we did not have to give up. Then you had Brunson miss a 22-footer, and Julius Randle got that rebound. Now, to that rebound specifically, Jared Allen worked his ass off to seal Mitchell Robinson under the backboard on that shot attempt, which missed. Julius Randle was standing at the three-point line. Now, Evan Mobley made a calculated choice. He did put a body on Julius Randle, but he decided to seal him towards the outside, and the shot caromed off the rim to the baseline and gave Julius Randle a chance to just jump up and grab that ball, throw it out to Grimes. We had to foul him. End of the game. Randle sold out and it bounced where it needed to bounce. What we need is the Cavaliers guards, the Cavaliers wings 
to all try to get those long rebounds because it's one thing. You're going to give up some interior rebounds for a guy as dominant as a Mitchell Robinson or an Isaiah Hartenstein or even a Josh Hart. You're going to give up some interior looks. However, if you give up even more offensive rebounds because your guards started to run out and they didn't come back and help the bigs on the glass, that's one adjustment that we need to make. Mitchell, I thought, was pretty solid about it. He grabbed a couple of those long rebounds, but we need more of that. We need more of it from Okoro. We need more of it from Garland. We need more of it from Osman. We need more of it from Levert. Levert at times, late in this season, was very good with that. This was not a good game at all from Karis Levert. For as much as I do think the Cavaliers gave up plenty of offensive rebounds they could have corralled, a lot of it in the early part of the game was Jared Allen just not being able to secure the ball. He was playing the rebounds for where the ball was going to bounce to. The Knicks guys were just getting into his body, poking at the ball. They were trying to slap it away. And some of these possessions, which looked like Allen was going to corral the rebound, ended with, nope, lost it. Oh, shit. Knicks have the ball back. There was one possession where there was at least two, actually, where the Knicks got three offensive rebounds in a single possession. Grimes got two looks from three-point land, quickly got another one. They missed all of them. They didn't even convert that one. But to give up so many offensive rebounds... It's extremely distressing, in part because I didn't feel like our guys weren't cognizant of that coming into this game. We definitely knew that was going to be the case. JB preached as much in the postgame that they knew that was going to be an issue. It's certainly all I talked about leading up to the Cavs-Knicks series was my concern about shoring up second-chance opportunities and ending possessions as quickly as possible. And Hart was huge. If the Cavaliers fall to the Knicks, in this series, which I think it's premature to say that. But if the Cavaliers do fall to the Knicks in this series, the other thing that I said leading into this was I was more concerned about what Grimes and Hart could provide game to game because I think their floor is just higher. Yeah, we may see quickly erupt. He was terrible in this game, but we'll get around to that. We may see that. And R.J. Barrett is not going to be as bad as he was tonight in every single game. But The first and second half alone, I mean, you saw the type of peaks and valleys even in the same game. First half, Julius Randle, amazing. Second half, Julius Randle, not amazing. Brunson, foul trouble first half. Second half, a ton of Brunson. What we can't have is these guys who are contributing in ways other than scoring, generating so many second chance opportunities that it gives the Knicks a chance to prevail even if they aren't particularly efficient shooting. Because this was a game the Cavs should have seized on. The Knicks were a team which shot 40% on the season. Last night, they were brutal. They were 0 for 8 in the second quarter. And on the evening, they shot less than 28% from three. Only made eight three-pointers. This is a Knicks team who in the last two regular season matchups hit 17 three-pointers in each game. If I told you following game one that you were going to get seven points out of R.J. Barrett. You were going to get as many points as turnovers out of Emmanuel quickly. Julius Randle shooting 35% from the floor. You would probably come away thinking, oh man, the Cavs rolled in that one. Not to say nothing of the fact that Mitchell outscored Brunson. There was This wasn't a 48-point game. Mitchell objectively outplayed Brunson. Now in the second half, Brunson certainly showed up when he needed to in the fourth quarter and the third quarter. But it's just disappointing to see so many things go the Cavaliers' way in terms of performances on the other side of the ball and have the thing that ultimately dooms you be your inability to end possessions for that squad. 
Now, if the offensive rebounding was the worst part, the bench play is a close second. The bench was bad. Osman was the only one who could do anything. And unfortunately, at the end of the game, for as much as Osman had some great moments, got out on steel, converted a bucket, had a couple of big plays. I thought I agreed with JB's sentiments that Osman, he didn't play that badly against Brunson on defense in the fourth quarter. But the fact that we rolled around to the fourth quarter and the only guy JB trusted was Osman, a man who he has historically not trusted, that's a sign right there that clearly shit was not going well. I mean, I thought Jetty did a good job of just pestering him. Um, you know, there was nothing easy. I thought he disrupted his rhythm a little bit, you know, just kind of jabbing at him and showing him different looks. So, again, I thought Jetty did a great job uh, on both ends of the floor for, for us tonight. JB opted to put Osman on Brunson in fourth quarter crunch minutes and anchor a Coro to the bench. It tells you everything you need to know about how well things were going for Okoro offensively. Now, he also took a huge elbow to the face. I don't know if that played any factor in him exiting the game. I don't think so, because he played after that happened, and then he checked out shortly thereafter, and we never saw him again. But certainly, the three-point shots were not falling for Isaac. And because we lost the game, despite... JB's going to be questioned on that decision. Now, my wife, she hated it. My wife does not watch basketball with me, by the way. But because she knows how important the playoffs are, she was trying to uh, show some enthusiasm. And she asked me, why is that number 16 guy keep guarding the good one? Now, I appreciate where her heart was at, which is, you know, she sees that I'm frustrated, that we're letting the lead slip away. And she wants to show that she, too, is frustrated. However... I was less upset with Osmond than the whole fact that we don't really even have an answer for how to stop this rebounding problem. Because if Dean Wade is unplayable, if love is in Miami, you just have to hope that the bodies you can throw out there play above the level of production which they've shown us this regular season. JB's got a bunch of square pegs and one gigantic round rebounding hole that needs to be filled. The offensive production, we knew the bench was inconsistent. We know night to night we may get some absolute turds. The hope is that not everybody on the bench disappears offensively on the same night like they did in game one. Efficiency will waver night to night, but effort, hustle, and fundamental play should never do that. Now, Isaac Okoro's shot was not falling, but so long as he continues to take them, I can live with that because defensively, he is critical. And in the first quarter, I was happy to have him back. In part because he was responsible for getting two early fouls on Jalen Brunson and helping limit him to just nine minutes in that first half. Largely ineffective. But I do understand why JB went to Osmond because Osmond, he was making some things happen. And he looked confident. He knocked down a couple of threes. He was pretty much the lone, not even bright spot, just the only visible spot from the bench. Karis Levert was one for seven. Nobody else off the bench even hit a three-pointer. 0 for 4 from Levert and Wade. Rubio, two quick fouls, didn't play again in the second half. In the first half, that shift from the bench was objectively bad. Karis Levert shanks a layup. Ricky Rubio gets two fouls. Ticky-tack nothing plays. I don't know that they even should have been. I certainly don't think the illegal screen should have been. Grimes was just flailing all over and flopping his hands. Ricky was just standing there, and they tagged him for an uh, illegal screen on that. And then there was some contact on the Hartenstein one, but again, pretty much a nothing call. It could have... 
They could have swallowed the whistle. They did not. Ricky really only had one moment that jumps out to me as like, oh, that was a that was a great play. And that was when he saw Randall was about to go into ISO mode and he chased him down from behind and picked his pocket. But Ricky with just a terrible night and was removed from the rotation altogether in the second half. Now, Dean Wade, clearly we all knew better defender than Kevin Love. But in a game where we lose because the rebounding battle went against us in the fourth quarter, I, I, I'm going to say it. I did. It did cross my mind yesterday that, well, what's worse? Kevin's replacement, who won't shoot and can't make anything, doesn't even play, or Kevin, who can't defend, but at least he can get rebounds. What would have been worse? I don't know. Yeah, probably Kevin, but still, it's just, it's frustrating to feel like we don't have any good options. We just have options. I I don't want to skew that negative on this. A lot of this shit is correctable. A lot of it, we will not see everybody no-show in the way that we did. Uh, 0 for 4 three-point game from Oro, a 1 for 7 game from Karis LeVert, where he's a a virtual nothing. Mobley missing everything inside the touch was terrible. I think the least bold take possible is that Mobley is going to look much better offensively because if, I mean, JB, okay, first let me play this clip from JB because it kind of leads into what I'm thinking here. The game changes in the playoffs. The rules change in the playoffs. Um, You know, what is... You know, body-to-body in the regular season is not body-to-body in the playoffs. Um, And, you know, again, I think it's a great experience for him. What I know about Evan is he'll take it to heart and, you know, he'll adjust quickly. And he has to. And I believe that he can. Because Evan Mobley, if he takes anything from game one, it should be that, listen, misses are acceptable so long as you continue the aggression. And it's the same feeling I have with Okoro. I'm not mad that they didn't convert the looks. I'm mad... If they settle for finesse looks because they're afraid they won't get the whistle, because you're allowed to play more physical in the playoffs. Just look at Julius Randle. Plows through Isaac Okoro, shoves Jared Allen after a whistle's blown. Neither of those even resulted in fouls on Julius Randle. The only one that did was when he made contact with Okoro's nose with his elbow swing through. You can play more physical and get away with it. Now, some of this physical disadvantage is not correctable just on style of play. Some of it is going to come with muscle, and that won't happen until the offseason. That won't happen without time, essentially. With Mobley, he got up 13 attempts. Yes, he missed eight shots around the rim. It was not an efficient night from him, but I think part of the problem was I didn't feel like he put refs in a position to have to blow the whistle, and that's what I want him to do if he changes anything. Now, this first possession of the game... I thought, oh shit, he's going to do that. He pump faked, he put his body right into a guy, he he left hand dunked it, it just didn't sustain. Now I thought Allen did play a lot more physical on that end. He had six points in the fourth quarter. He was really the only other guy chipping in offensively late in the game along with Donovan Mitchell. Unfortunately, he just fumbled the ball a few too many times on the glass today. If there was one negative, I talked about how I think the fro is perhaps the most critical player for the Cavaliers in this game, and that's because his assignment of limiting Mitchell Robinson or Hartenstein is so, so critical. And while his statistics were very solid tonight, 14 rebounds is nothing to scoff at, I want him to play even bigger. And maybe it is too much to ask, but that's why I said I think that his impact is so much more likely to be greater than that of an Emmanuel Quickly or an R.J. Barrett. The interior play, and who wins that, is going to be the baseline of every game in this series, and JB said as much 
in the postgame. It's a matter of who's initiating the contact. We have to be more physical. <clears throat> it's that simple. To go four for 13, for Evan Mobley to miss at least eight shots around the rim, I don't think he was ready yet for the playoff physicality. And I will say, you won't hear me trot out very frequently this idea of excusing guys because they haven't seen the playoffs. Because I, I just want you to keep this in mind. The post-game press conference from JB, it was filled with this ongoing message. We've heard it all year about, well, you have to go through it. And it, everything's a, it's all a step forward. It's the progression. It's learning. It's growing. He trotted that out multiple times in the post-game press conference. Here's just a few of them. Our guys are learning. You know, we played a ton of guys, a ton of minutes who are learning what playoff basketball is about. You have to experience it to understand it. This was a lesson. We experienced it, and we got to bounce back from it. This is a wake-up call and a learning lesson for our guys. It's one of those things, you know, you can't explain or describe what a playoff game is like. You have to go through a playoff game and understand the physicality of it, understand, you know, what you can and can't get away with. We'll go as far as quickly we learn from our mistakes. You know, correct the things that we can correct, which I think there was a lot of. Those are all true statements. But on the other side of the ball, those same exact things are true. The Knicks are not some team laden with playoff experience. Jalen Brunson, coming into the game one, had played 25 games in the playoffs. Everybody else on their team, at most, had five playoff games. Randall, five. IQ, five. RJ, five. All of them in that loss to the Hawks. Hartenstein, two. And he played a total of two playoff minutes before this. Mitchell Robinson, never played in the playoffs. Josh Hart, never played in the playoffs. So to look at that and say, okay, collectively, you're looking at around 40 to 45 games of playoff experience. Well, Donovan Mitchell has 39 just on his own. Osman has 14. Allen has nine. Levert has nine. Ricky Rubio has 11. So there's plenty of guys on the Cavaliers in the rotation who have more playoff experience than their counterparts on the Knicks. This should not be an issue of one team doesn't look ready for the moment and the other does. It shouldn't be. Now it's game one. So I'm allowing for the idea that there's an adjustment period, but the Cavs have to come out as ready to perform as the Knicks do in Game 2. Because certainly we did see some of these Knicks came out also looking shook. RJ, IQ, they were rough. Quentin Grimes, rough. They did not have good games. But Josh Hart has never seen the playoffs, and he played like a man who's been there 20 times. So maybe there's some truth to it on both sides of the ball. But certainly it's not an excuse for the Cavs. And I do think to some degree the Knicks are a team who their style of play... This physical, bullish style of play, it just translates better to the playoffs. So in that way, yeah, the Cavs do need to make some adjustments, and they're at maybe a disadvantage to the Knicks in that capacity. But JB is going to have some interesting choices. Does he try to match physicality with physicality and maybe give Neto a look over Rubio or bring Stevens in instead of Wade? Or does he opt to go for floor spacing and say, you know what? I'm going to try to work Danny Green in here. If the Knicks can't leave the shooter, then they can't get to the offensive glass. Because I think that's a large part of the reason why he left Osman in there in the fourth quarter as opposed to Okoro. Okoro not making his outside shot just leaves a whole extra guy to hit the boards. This is really the time when we get to see how JB operates and responds in the crucible. 
I never thought it was a productive conversation in the regular season to second-guess a man who led a team to the fourth seed, 50 wins, and the best defense in the NBA. But with the ability to go point-counterpoint, I think this is exciting. We're finally getting to see how JB responds with pressure. And certainly, he can make decisions and still be let down by the players he picks. And nothing's going to change, even in this offseason, even if we get smoked in the first round. Bigger staff is back here next year. So for those of you who hate JB, they're not going to make a judgment based on one series. But I am excited that we're finally in playoff basketball because we're getting to see the type of decisions he makes when there's actual consequences. Now, to the free throws. Cavs left six points on the line. And I don't think this is really worth harping on because they know they need to make them, but that's just how it played out. You can't really afford to do that because you're not a team that lives at the line. You don't have a Joel Embiid. You don't have a Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You don't have a Jimmy Butler. You're not going to get a ton of free throws. And we saw Mitchell. He didn't get some whistles he could have got. So you got to make the free throws that you do have because the Knicks, they made 19 of their 22. They converted the ones they needed to. Now, there were positives to take away from this. Yet again, Donovan Mitchell could not be stopped. It did not matter who they threw at him. Grimes, Quickly, a lot of Josh Hart we saw on Donovan Mitchell, but by and large, he got to where he wanted to get to. He was very good defensively, I thought. Jumped some passing lanes. Going to his left, he was exceptionally proficient tonight. And I touched on his defense. Nobody in the Cavaliers' backcourt particularly got exploited. Now, a lot of that is shot-making, but I thought the Cavaliers' defensive game plan was very solid. Isaac Okoro, to get two quick fouls on Jalen Brunson, one coming in a venue that we need, crashing the glass. He got to the glass, kind of got tied up, and just threw the ball up. That was the second foul on Brunson. Levert tagged him for a third one. That was enough to send her to the bench. Only played nine minutes in the first half. Now, that's generally the moment where you have to exploit the Knicks, but at halftime, the Cavaliers were down by five, and the third quarter, we saw a man possessed in terms of Jalen Brunson. He came out much more effective, paced the way for the Knicks, scored 12 of his points in the third quarter. And then when the fourth quarter rolled around, he kept it going. He scored nine points. Here's a couple things. Now, the Knicks didn't get much help outside of the first half of Julius Randle, but the third quarter of Obi Toppin, two easy buckets on runouts, a made three-pointer, a couple of free throws to chip in nine points to go along with Jalen Brunson's 12 points. That was a big period for the New York Knicks. And then Josh Hart's fourth quarter, obviously. Everybody saw what happened there. Now, I did a podcast earlier in the season, right at the trade deadline with Danny Morang of the Jack Don Ramsey's talking about Josh Hart because he's a guy who the Cavaliers have been publicly linked to for quite some time, a guy whose game they respect. This is not a woe is us, we didn't trade for Josh Hart because Karis LeVert for Josh Hart was not going to get it done. The Knicks gave up Cam Reddish and a first round pick, a pick we did not have to give up. The real tragedy is that the Knicks is where he landed. It's not about me saying, oh, God, I wish Josh Hart was a a Cavalier. We didn't have the ammo to get him. But for him to land here, a team that was already damn near impossible to stop on the glass, he played an incredible game. And my only hope here is that if Josh Hart is going to do this to the Cavaliers, he is just running up the price tag for the Knicks, which hopefully limits them further in free agency when they have to start paying all of these super bench players. By the end of this series, I'm probably going to have gone from being a fan of Josh Hart because he's carried several of my fantasy matchups as a rebounder from an off position into a man who just hates him.
respects him, but hates him. So to come to the end of the game and see that Josh Hart gives you 17 and 10 on 73% from the floor, he only missed three of his shots. Oh, God, so frustrating. But hey, for as badly as I felt about Josh Hart, I felt great about what we saw from the other Knicks. I wonder if David Jacoby still would prefer Brunson and R.J. Barrett to Brunson and Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> I would not want Brunson and Mitchell as my backcourt. You know, I think I think a, a Brunson and Barrett is a better combination. And then you have Emmanuel Quickly, the guy that Knicks fans, they insist he's the sixth man of the year. Many of them think that he's going to be more impactful than Mobley in this series and that he is the most disrespected man. Well, he's not helping that case by putting up an 0 for 5 clunker, three points, and three turnovers. Don't you start with me! Mobley laid a turd in game one, eight points, and go four for 13 from the field. That is about as bad as it gets for Evan Mobley. And that's still much, much better than what Emmanuel quickly did in game one. In 23 minutes, to only get up five shots, I don't know how much of an impact you can make. He had two passes directly to Darius Garland as if it was one of his teammates. So that probably is part of the reason we saw Thibodeau pull the plug on putting him in the late-game lineups, regardless of what was a pretty serviceable plus-minus in the first half as they went on their run as soon as the cash check. I think that's less about quickly, more about the fact that when Lavert, Rubio, and Dean got in there, there was just a lot of bungled plays that resulted in baskets on the other end. So, in any case, RJ stunk. They're stuck with him at 30-plus million a year for several years. Emmanuel quickly continued a fairly muted production for as good as he looked towards the end of the season and spot starts against the Cavs coming into that game. He was only averaging 10.5 points a game. I'll take that. It's not going to sustain. He's going to have games here and there. But by and large, I still feel the same way I felt coming into game one. The variability, night to night, that you'll get out of a quickly, an RJ, and a Julius Randle, that doesn't worry me. It's about preventing the high floor guys, the Grimes, the Josh Hart's, the Hartensteins, from making too much of an impact. We cannot have a bench performance like last night because at the end of the game, the Knicks, they got 37 bench points. We had 14. So yeah, let's wrap this one up. I want to watch some playoff basketball, the Lakers and the Grizzlies. There is a lot of positives to take out of the night in terms of Donovan Mitchell's play, in terms of Jared Allen's play, but there's a lot that we need to see change. Darius Garland has to give more. Evan Mobley has to be more efficient. You'd like to see Okoro or anybody on the bench knock down some shots. I do think Osman is going to find himself in the mix based on what we saw in Game 1, but I'll be interested to see how long of a leash JB gives to a Ricky Rubio and a Dean Wade, or if we're going to see other guys get their crack next time around. So thank you to everybody who's listened and subscribed. Don't let this get your spirits too down. It's a long series. It's first to four wins. It's not first to one win. This is the Fear the Fro podcast. Thank you for joining me. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.